All right. What's going on, Faith Church? Hey, good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. Hey, it's great to have all of you in the house. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor, and it is our privilege to have you here. If you are faith family present here in Florence or a faith family up in Lawrenceburg, let's give it up for them. Hey, glad you guys are glad you're a part. For all of our VIPs, first-time guests, man, we're glad that you're here. We hope for everybody, whether you've been here a thousand times or this is your very first time, that God will do something great in your life. We believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. So whatever you're going through, whatever opportunities in front of you, he's our strength, he's our hope, he's our joy, and he's our peace. And we're here today to celebrate the birth of our Saviors. One more time, man, can we make some noise for the Lord? Well, listen, we started a brand new series, and uh, if you've not been here for it, if this is your first time here, it's okay. I'm going to catch you up real quick. We've been talking about this idea that every year around this time, as we step into the holidays, that many of us, we go out into our sheds, or we go down into our basements, or up into our attics, and we unpack our Christmas decorations. And we clean up, and we make our, our houses festive and ready for the Christmas celebration. And a large part of that, for many of us, is a nativity scene. A lot of us, we have blow-up ones out in the yard, or we have small little figurines uh, smartly placed up on, you know, mantles or on special tables. And the idea of not just Christmas decorations, but especially the festivity, that every year as we unpack it and we, we celebrate this special season, we, spin, we sing special songs, we attend special services just like this one. And then when the season's over, we pack it up and we go and we put it back. And sometimes it'll catch the feeling as if Jesus is something that you unbox, celebrate, and put back. And so what we've been saying through this series is we want to remove the bubble wrap of religion off of the festivity of the nativity and really celebrate what it's about because what we've been saying through this entire series for all of us, and you need to know this, that the nativity is far more than an event to be celebrated. It's an experience to be lived. That what we're here talking about today, the songs we're singing, that God wants it to be a part of your life, in your DNA, in your story, because the story of Jesus is life transforming if you'll allow it to get in. So we've been looking at the nativity and some of the key figures in the stories, not even just the main figures. We've been talking about some of the side cast, some of the supporting actors and actresses. In fact, week one, we looked at this group of guys called the shepherds. If you're familiar with the story of the birth of Jesus, that it was a group of shepherds, these guys out in the field that got the first announcement of Jesus. Imagine this, we send out uh, announcements digitally, but they got an angel to show up in the field and announce that Jesus, the Savior, had been born. They lost their mind. They were ecstatic. They went running in to find this baby that was born. And then they said this, hey, let's go tell what we've seen. And so what we said week one is to be a teller. That if God's done something great in your life, that if you've experienced his mercy and his grace, if God's given you hope when you were hopeless, strength when you were weary, if God's given you wisdom when you didn't know what to do, come on, God it deserves all the praise because he's been good. Can we make some noise in this place? So the challenge is to be a teller. Tell your story. It doesn't have to be a religious story. You don't have to stand on a street corner. But in conversations, as an opportunity arises, share the story of who Christ is to you and how he's changed your life. Week number two, we talked about this group of guys called, maybe you've heard of them, the Magi or the Wise Men. These group of guys who we understand they understood the prophecies, thousands of years of prophecies that were given that this rescuer, that this Messiah would be born. And they tracked the story of the approximate place and time of where and when he would be born. And they went seeking the Savior. And so we said that we should be like the Magi, that we should be seekers, which means if you're here and you're watching online, and maybe you're an agnostic, maybe you're an atheist, maybe you're not even sure about this whole Jesus thing. Like, that's okay. 
But I just would challenge you to be a seeker, to find, to find out answers to your questions. And I believe that if you'll seek God, he'll make himself known to you because that's his promise. And for all the rest of us here who maybe, man, we're already in a spiritual journey, we've been saying this, that all of us can afford to get just a little bit closer. So be a seeker. Everybody shout, be a seeker. We should be a seekers, man, seekers of his presence and seekers of getting closer to our Savior. And then last week, we talked about one of the central figures in the Christmas story, this young girl, um, unlike maybe what some stories we understand, that she wasn't a 30-year-old, had it all together. She was a young farm girl from a nowhere town named Nazareth, a young girl by the name of Mary. That when angels showed up and said she would give birth to the Savior, basically she volunteered. Basically she said, man, I'll do it. And the challenge last week is we should all volunteer because the plan that God has for our life is far greater than one we could ever manufacture for ourselves. But all we have to do is volunteer and say, God, I want your best for my life. I want to follow your plan and your purpose because it's better than my plan and my purpose. In order for that to happen, we have to be volunteers. And today, as we wrap this up, we're going to look at a central, not a figure, but something that's a key part of the nativity. But how many of you in this room... Like me, I grew up in a home, uh, grew up in the 70s, uh, born in 71. I grew up in a home. How many of you here grew up with real furniture in the house? I'm talking about real furniture. When I talk about real furniture, I mean as opposed to the fake particle board that they sell now. There's nothing wrong with it. It's trendy. It's what it, what's in. But back in the day where I grew up, the furniture we had, if you wanted to move a piece of furniture, you had to get the neighborhood involved. Because that stuff was stout. It was heavy. It was made of real wood, right? I mean, it was beautiful stuff. And it's just, it was just part of it, man. That stuff came in. And there came a time that it eventually went out. It went out with fashion. It wasn't popular anymore. People going, started going more trendy. And with trendy came just stuff that was just poorly made. That's okay. But a lot of the furniture that I grew up with quickly became forgotten. And for two, three, or four decades, this furniture found its way in barns and stores facilities all over, and all of a sudden, it made a comeback. And some of you know this because many of you in this room, many of you watching online, um, you have pieces of furniture that's been refinished, repurposed, like we have, we've made, it's made a comeback all of a sudden back into our homes, this furniture that was once forgotten. In fact, my wife, she found a piece of furniture several years ago and uh, went, and the stuff that you had to pay people to get rid of. Back 30, 40 years ago, all of a sudden, now people's paying three, four, five hundred dollars for this stuff because it's gotten hot again. And so my wife found this piece of furniture. She refinished it herself. I'm telling you, it was beautiful. I was, I was impressed, man, how well she did. And so she found another piece of furniture about a month later online, and uh, it was already finished, and she loved it. And she said, she said, babe, I'd love to have this for our house. And so this is what I said. Husbands take note. What baby wants, baby gets. And I'm just telling you, if you want to go big, if, if you want to wow your wife and you want all her friends to be jealous, men, just tell her what baby wants. Come on, say it with me. Baby gets. However, they will cash that in nonstop. That needs to come with a caveat. That needs to come with an asterisk with some small print. Like that has a dollar value cash out. Like that expires like a coupon in 60 days because she's been owning that since I said that. She's like, remember you said what baby wants, baby gets. I'm like, I didn't mean that. <laughs> but again, this furniture has made a comeback. And now here we are after 20, 30, 40 years, we're using words, some of us, again, that have been forgotten like buffets, amois. 
sideboards, high boys, all of this furniture that's made a comeback. But there's one piece of furniture that was never forgotten because it was a focal point in the first Christmas. And it's that piece of farm furniture called a manger. And here's what's crazy is while it should be meaningless, the manger is mainstream. We've never forgotten about it. In fact, I want you to think of the craziness, the irony of the reality that a piece of farm furniture on the other side of the world, 2,000 years old, most of us, if not all of us in this room, immediately know what a manger is. Think about the shock of that, something that should have been forgotten. Again, it's still a part of culture. It's still a part of Christmas conversation. The manger is mainstream. And here's why it's a part of the birth of the Savior of the world, Jesus. Check it out. Luke chapter 2, I would invite all of us, man, to read this. I'll lead us, but let's read this together. It says, at that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to be registered for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. And he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. And he took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, read it with me, and laid him in a manger because there were no lodging available for them. Now I would just say this real quick uh, as a sidebar, as a side note. Here we are in the Christmas holidays, and especially all of you who are, have young families or hope to have young families, I just would encourage you to establish some really solid Christmas traditions. There's a lot of things we do in culture that I think are cool and I think a lot of fun for our kids, and it certainly builds memories, and there's always value in that. Things like milk and Christmas cookies for sand I think is cool, and an elf on a shelf. Some of you have lost your mind with elf on a shelf. Man, I mean, if you would put that creativity in a business, you'd be multi-millionaires. But it's cool, and it's laughs, and it's fun. But I just want you to know, man, I would encourage you, especially if you love the Lord, man, and you want your family to celebrate the center of what this Christmas is about, that you build traditions that your kids will remember and repeat that make sure that Jesus is the center. This section of Scripture that we just read, I've been reading with my family. It's the first thing we do when we wake up Christmas morning for 25 years. Because while we love Christmas cookies for Santa and while we love Elf on the Shelf, while we do, we love presents, and I love presents, and I love presents, and I love presents. <laughs> and we eat and we have fun and we laugh. I want to make sure that when my kids are older, they don't just remember the stuff we bought, the meals we eat, ate, or even the family time we spent together. I want to make sure that we have traditions that keep Jesus as the center of the Christmas message. So find your own, but plug it in and make sure it's something, man, you celebrate in your family. But as we celebrate this Christmas story, what is it all about? What is Christmas? What is the message that we're here singing about and celebrating? In the beginning, God created everything perfect, pristine, without blemish. Everything you see was made by him and for him, for his glory. And ultimately, God capped off his creation with mankind, with humanity, with people. And God put us in place for the purpose of a relationship, that God wanted us to know him, to be with him, to be connected to him, that between creation and creator, that, man, there was a perfect relationship. And the story tells us that ultimately our first parents rebelled, bucked the system, decided to do things their own way instead of God's way, and because of that, they were separated from their creator. And I just want you to know that God is the only one who's the source of hope, and he's the only true source of peace, and he's the only true place 
where we find life. And because our parents were connected from that, they lost that. And that heritage was passed down to every one of us in this room that we are disconnected from the source of everything that really matters. But the good news is, in spite of our disconnection that was caused by our choices, God always had a plan to rescue us. And his plan was never for you to be good enough because I got news for you. I think you should try. I think we should strive to live a life that we're good citizens and we honor God with our actions, our thoughts, and our deeds. But the reality is no matter how hard you try, we can't be good enough. And I think there's a place for religion. And I say religion, I mean in the context of us having some kind of paradigm and framework for our spiritual life of who God is, of how we worship him. However, I want you to know God's intention was never for you to be religious enough because you can't be religious enough. The plan of God was always for him to send a savior to come and rescue us. And what we celebrate today is the Christmas story is that God's plan was to send his son as the savior of the world to come and rescue all of us. And so the idea of Christmas is that he came as one of us to die on the cross in place of us. And that's the Christmas story that 2,000 years ago, God's son, Jesus, the savior of the world, was born and laid in a manger. Again, think about the reality of this. A manger, a piece of farm equipment. I don't imagine many of you are farmers. But here we are. We know immediately what a manger is, at least this new context, because here's the reality is Jesus gave it this new definition. The manger is memorable not for its construction, but for its content. Because it wasn't no longer intended just to, just to hold straw for animals, but a savior for the world. And what Jesus did in reality, and I want to talk about just for a, mi- a minute, is that Jesus, he made the manger matter because he gave the manger a new meaning. And he's not the only one. We do that in culture all the time. We take words and all this, we turn them upside down, we give them brand new meanings. So what one time was a feeding trough for animals now holds the savior. We take words and we flip their meaning all the time. For example, tablet. If I say tablet and you're over 50 in this room, right away you thought, did I take my medication? Oh, come on. Some of you are thinking pharmaceuticals, but many of us in this room, because it has been flipped, the definition, most of us are thinking of a portable computer-like item that has a touch screen. A tablet has a whole new meaning. Several years ago, we, uh, we're all, my wife and I, we're both from Akron, Ohio, so we travel back there several times a year, spend time with family. And uh, typically we go in the winter and we'll go once in the summer. We were up several years ago. It was summertime and we're getting ready to go. We stay at my parents' house. Everybody's had showers except our youngest daughter, Lauren. She's always the last one out of the house. And so we're waiting on Lauren. Everybody's sitting around the table. Here comes Lauren. She comes out and she's got some swag going on because she always puts on her best. And it's summer, so it's hot out up in the north. So she's got on a t-shirt. She's got on shorts. She's got on summer shoes. She comes out of the bedroom. My dad looks at her and says these exact words, Lo, her name's Lauren, Lo, I love your thongs. Wait, what? Like there was a hush that fell over the room. I didn't say it, but I thought, Dad, that's inappropriate, and you can go to prison for that. In some, like, in some states, that's not cool. That's not good. We're like, wait, what? He said, her shoes. Lo, I love your shoes. We're like, Dad, just so we're clear, those are flip-flops. Thongs a whole nother thing. Come on. That's something totally different. And some of you who are older, you know that back in the day, flip-flops were thongs. But what we've done is we've redefined what that word is. We've redefined tablets from medication to a computer. We've redefined thongs are now flip-flops. And I can just go on and on and on. The cloud, the cloud for thousands of years used to be condensed water vapor in the sky. Now, no, the cloud is how you hold your digital information. 
right? I, I mean, you go on, I mean, back in the day, sick. Sick is what got you out of school and out of work. Now it's like, baby, that, that outfit is sick. Did you see LeBron James dunk? That was sick. Were you at Faith Church this morning? Man, that program was sick. It was bad? I mean, no, it was sick. We have taken words and we've redefined their meaning. Several months ago, I was preaching and I had just made this very simple statement as part of a message that back in the day, every weekend I would go hook up with my friends. Simple, totally innocent. At the end of the service, my two daughters come running at me as if I'm on fire. I'm waiting for a blanket to be thrown on me and for me to stop, drop, and roll. Dad, you can't say that. If you're not here often, I often say things that I probably shouldn't say from the platform, so I'm quickly replaying what is it possibly I said. And I'm like, what? They're like, you can't say that. I'm like, say what? And they're like, you can't say you hook up with your friends. I'm like, why? Well, I hook up with my friends all the time. I hooked up with some last week, and I'm probably going to hook up with some more this weekend. <laughs> Dad, you can't say that. I said, why? They're like, because hookup means hmm. I'm like, what's hmm? I mean, you don't want me to say you got to qualify. And they're like, Dad, hookup means. And so I started tracking. I'm like, well, not to me. Hookup means going to hang. Just hang out. We, we just hanging out so we're clear. <laughs> I'm using, I'm using the 80s meeting, not the 2018 meeting, so we're clear. But what's happened is we've taken words and we've, come on, we have redefined them. We've redefined them. And this is what Jesus has done. Jesus came to redefine what has been predefined. Jesus came, and not to give new meaning to farm furniture, and not to give new meaning to words. Jesus came to redefine people. That's what the Christmas message is about. That's the purpose of the manger, is he took something that was once a feeding trough, and now he made it a place where he held the Savior and the creator of the universe. He redefined something that eventually or originally had a totally different meaning. And I want you to think for a minute today all of the words that are used to describe you. The adjectives we place on ourselves, the titles, the nouns, of who we are, of how we live. Maybe it's not the things we've placed on us, it's the things that culture's placed on us. Maybe it's the things nobody knows, but the things that we know that we are. Think about all of the words that you would use to define yourself. A lot of those words, if we're honest, they're broken at worst and they're temporal at best. There's words, for example, some of us in this room would use to define us that we are divorced. We're broken, we're bankrupt, we're addicted, we're depressed, we're struggling, we're poor, we're anxious, we're hurt, we're victims. And there's all these words that we place on ourselves that define us and put a sign. It's not really there, but we know like this is who we are. It's the words that make us hold our head in shame. It's the words that make us feel like we don't measure up, that we're not enough. There's all these words, we carry them with us. But I want you to think, again, even the best words. If you're here, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're a police officer, you're a business owner. You're a husband, you're a wife, you're a kid, you're a student. Like even the best titles this world has to offer, they're all temporal. None of them last. And here comes Jesus. And what did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to redefine what has been predefined, which means Jesus came to take your old titles and give you new titles, to take your old nouns and give you new nouns, to take your old, come on, take, take your old descriptions and give you a brand new description. He came to redefine who you are and who I am. 
I want to just read a couple of the titles that he came to give us. Let's look at these together. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says, Even before he made the world. Come on, read this with me. God loved us, and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now, let's just hang here for a minute because these are some of the words that Jesus came to define all of us with. First of all, he says that we're loved. Everybody say loved. It's a central base of who we are. Everybody in this room, we all long to be loved. We're in the pursuit of finding the perfect mate. We're looking for someone that will matter to, someone that will care about us. Some of us in this room are lucky enough to have found them. But most of us, man, it's, it's one bad relationship after another. And we struggle to be loved. And again, even the best love this world has to offer is temporary. And God says, you know what? I came to tell you that if you feel unloved, if you feel like you don't matter, that God says he's come to title you. He's come to tag you. He's come to define you as you're loved. And not just love, he said God loved us and he, come on, say it, he chose us. Man, this is awesome because in a world where rejection is just part of what's on, it's just part of what happens. We get rejected from programs. We get rejected from the school we apply to. We get rejected for the job we apply for. We get rejected by people. Rejection is just a part of life and unfortunately we learn to live with it. But God says, I want you to know I will never reject you. In fact, I purposely chose you. Everybody say, I'm chosen. You're chosen. You might have got kicked out of the friends group. You might have gotten defriended. You might have got put out on the side of the workplace. But I want you to know as far as God's concerned, he says, you are chosen. And my favorite one, because I have been known in my life to make some mistakes, is that God came to make us faultless in his eyes. Now, if you've never messed up and you're perfect and you got it all together, this is not good news. But for all the rest of us in this room that made some mistakes in our lives, we made some poor choices that maybe come back to bite us. We made some decisions that we know weren't right, but we made them anyways. Anybody here in this room ever made some big goof-ups, mistakes? Come on, anybody here thankful that God says, I've come to tag you as faultless? But God, you don't, know, you don't know, man, where I've been and what I've done. He said, no, that's how the world sees you, and that's how you see yourself. But I've come to redefine you as faultless, as sinless, as perfect. That's who God is, and that's how he sees us. That's why Jesus came. And he goes on and says this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? We can't get to him. He came to get us. And this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us. I'm sorry, God decided to advance us. Back up, I apologize. Says, so we praise God. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for his glorious grace that he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Watch this. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave us our sins. Anybody here thankful for that, man? Come on. So the message of the Christmas story is that a Savior came and he was placed in a manger, in a piece of farm furniture. And he gave it meaning and value, not because of what it was, but because of who he was. The manger was given a new meaning because, again, his presence gave it a new purpose. Think about this. Just because of who he was, because he was in it, it changed the manger forever. But the cool thing is, the same way he was in the manger and changed its value and purpose, because he's in you, now you have a new value and you have a new purpose. I told you all last week, if you were here, 
um, I got my brother in a, in a Christmas drawing to buy him uh, a gift, and so we're all Cleveland Browns fans. He's a big Cleveland Browns fan. So I went on the pursuit of a Baker Mayfield uh, Cleveland Browns jersey. And because the Browns typically don't, don't play so well, I thought there would be an abundance, and I looked everywhere, had an incredibly hard time. Finally found one after searching several hours on the Internet, making phone calls. Finally found my brother, not just a, a jersey, an official NFL, Baker Mayfield, possibly rookie of the year. I can tell none of you care because not Alabama football. There's like one person back like, ooh. But where he's going to be excited. So, man, I'm pretty excited. I got him an official NFL Baker Mayfield jersey. I'm going. I'm hanging out with this friend of mine. He's cutting my hair, and I'm telling him. He said, so you get, got your brother's jersey? I'm like, yeah. He says this. He says, so did he wear it? Like, did, did Baker Mayfield, like, did he play in it? And I'm like, I don't love my brother that much. I mean, I got him the $100. That's capped off, baby. I mean, but here's the thing. Y'all know this. Listen, depending on the value of the person that was in the item, the value of that item goes up significantly. And if Baker Mayfield was in the jersey I bought, it would go up significantly in value because it was no longer just a jersey. It was a jersey that had someone of value in it. And what the Christmas message is about is not just that Jesus came to redefine who the world's defined you to be, but he's come to increase your value. He's come to change your purpose because of not just who you are, but because of who's in you. See, the same way Jesus was in the manger, he is now in us. You have value and you have meaning because you carry God's presence with you. He wasn't here waiting for you to show up. He was with you when you came in, and he'll be with you when you go out. John 14, here's what Jesus said. Check this out. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. Every voice as we close. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be. Everybody shout those words in you. Jesus said the same way I'm here now with my disciples. I'm leaving and going back to heaven. But when I get there, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And once he comes, he will be with you. And he's going to live in you. And he'll never abandon you. He'll never leave you. And that defines who we are. See, I'm not just a father. And I'm not just a sinner. And I'm not just a mess up. And I'm not just a daddy. I'm a child of God. I am forgiven. I belong to him. I'm adopted into his family. He's given me new tags that come with new value. And he's done the same thing for you. So the Christmas celebration is not just who he is. It's who he made us to be. We have been redefined by the Savior of the world. Come on, somebody. So maybe today that's not you. Maybe you're still carrying old tags because maybe you never heard new ones were available. And so before we go back and give God praise for what he's done in a few more songs, if you're here and say, Pastor Steve, I need to be redefined. I want, I want what you're talking about. I want to know that I'm chosen. I want to know that I'm loved. With every head bowed just for a minute, Father, I pray that you'll speak in this room, every person online, every person in Lawrenceburg, every person here in Florence. God, of their value, it's greater than their mistakes. It's greater than how people see us. Lord, I pray that every person would know that you came for them and you came to redefine them. And I pray right now in this moment, they'll turn to you and they'll open their heart. They'll be the manger and they'll open up to your presence. 
with every head bowed, every eye closed, you say, Pastor Steve, I, this morning I want to be redefined by Jesus. I want to be defined as one of God's kids. I want to be, I want to be redefined as belonging to him. If you've never given your life to Jesus, that's this invitation is for you to say yes. And when you say yes, he comes into your life and he'll change you and he'll forgive you and he'll make you his. It's not about being religious. It's not about being a church member. It's just about belonging to him. If you're here and say, Pastor Steve, I, I want to be redefined by the presence of the Savior. If that's you, I want you to lift a hand real high. Say, I want to, I want to belong to him. Come on, lift it up real high so I can see it. All over this room, you've never said yes to Jesus. Today's a great day. Come on, lift it up, leave it up just for one minute. All over this room. Come on. Thank you, 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 thank you. A lot of hands. If you're watching online or you're right here present in this room in Lawrenceburg, I want to pray. You can follow my prayer or you can just say your own words. God, I know you came for me. Forgive me. If, however you want to pray it, God will hear you. And in this moment, you can leave change. So again, you can pray after me. Father, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to be my savior. I ask you to forgive me. Come into me and let your presence live on the inside of me. Help me to follow you, to love you, and to serve you from this day forward. I thank you for redefining me. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed, said amen.